the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline. I do want to talk a little bit about Ellen's. Um, her call is on uh, uh, in relationship to our gifts. And apparently Ellen has the gift of exhortation uh, and the gift of exhortation will also include the necessary gift of teaching. Like she said, <clears throat> none of our gifts are going to work effectively if we don't have the capacity for the promulgation of sound doctrine. That's where we're going to be limited. And she's absolutely right, particularly with people who actually care about doctrine. Now, we can do a lot of uh, showboating as believers. We can pretend that we care as believers. But if we're shallow in our doctrine, we can't help anyone. Doctrine is essential to the sharpening and honing of your tools by which men and women are not only awakened to their sinful condition, converted from their sin- sinful condition, but developed in their new regenerate condition so they can bear fruit to God. You're going to meet a lot of <clears throat> questioning Christians, non-believers who will have enough knowledge of the Bible that they will run off the average pretending Christian, the pretending Christian who does not study his Bible, who does not come to Bible study, who does not hone their skills by virtue of being under good sound teaching, who don't have the ability to answer the difficult conundrums that come with uh, doctrinal questions that might carry three and four uh, very solid interpretations, though obviously one interpretation is going to be the most central and valid one, although the modified interpretations coming from other presuppositions may uh, be plausible. Um, that is uh, just a challenge of the teacher. How do you take a text like Matthew 25 dealing with the 10 versions or uh, Revelation chapter seven dealing with the 144,000 and understand them relative to eschatology? Well, you have to be very careful to understand a fundamental premise of eschatology and not simply slip into the different categories of eschatology and think that that category that you have really is the legitimate hermeneutical framework for interpreting the passage. For instance, I have a great deal of um, uh, resistance towards a premillennial dispensational hermeneutic because it subdivides texts of scripture unlawfully. In other words, it will divide <clears throat> uh, premillennial uh, passages from a millennial context of passages such as Vernon McGee for years have taken the Sermon on the Mount and said that none of that applies to this age of grace or the gospel age or the church age so that fundamentally none of the ethics, none of the morals, none of the spiritual values in Matthew's chapter 5 are really for us. That's for the, uh, the kingdom, for the millennial age. It's for the super believers who have been glorified and then can live on this earth for a thousand years with Christ and deal with the uh, the growing evil uh, that c- occurs at the end of the millennium right before the great and final apostasy. But that's utter rubbish. Now, when I state that, I am asserting a disapproval of that interpretation, but I really don't have time to argue the fallacy of it. I will simply say 
that unless you can legitimately and concretely prove an eschatological framework for Matthew 5, you have no right of exclusively interpreting that passage on an eschatological level somewhere down the line so as to remove the very salient and relevant moral, ethical, redemptive, spiritual applications that are drawn out of that text and, by the way, are sprinkled everywhere in the New Testament by the apostles who actually lived out that ethic of blessed are the pure in spirit, blessed are the, the, the meek, blessed are those who are persecuted, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All that is so clearly laid out within the framework of apostolic doctrine from Pauline to Petrine to, to James and to John that it's nothing but ludicrous to assert that Matthew 5 does not apply to you and me. You do that with other passages of Scripture as well. You completely destroy the continuity and coherence of the New Testament. It's plain enough for us to see it. Same thing is true with the book of Revelation. If you plop on top of the book of Revelation a premillennial dispensational uh, framework, then you make the book of Revelation completely irrelevant to present generation Christians. But you really can't do that, see, because the way the book of Revelation opens up is dealing with the seven churches. And you can, you're hard pressed to get rid of those seven churches after Revelation 4 without hijacking all of the nomenclature that applies to the new Israel of God, the new Jerusalem of God, the body of Christ, the two twain becoming one flesh called the children of Abraham. If you be Abraham's seed, if you be Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs of the promise. And that's why we own the nomenclature of the Old Testament as Peter lays it out and as Paul lays it out. And so the book of Revelation is for the church, including the Jewish people. But the Jewish people are not a distinct people group as the Gentiles are not a distinct people group. Once you come into the church, it's one body. Therefore, Revelation 7 being understood in light of a a Christocentric and ecclesiastical centric interpretation, we can begin to work through who that 144,000 are because that's a symbolism. That runs through the book of Revelation. You see it three times. Revelation 7, Revelation 14, and then Revelation 21, called the New Jerusalem, 144 stadia. Don't have time to unpack it. Just don't have time to. But I'd love to clarify that this is not some special group of people uh, as would be asserted by the Jehovah Witnesses. This is a, a symbolism of a perfect number of those that are made up out of the 12 tribes. And the 12 tribes are symbolic of the body of Christ. That can also be defended. We're taking, again, that Old Testament framework and terminology of covenant theology and bringing it into the New Testament. It was a code for the book of Revelation. It applies to every believer today. We are the Israel of God, and Christ is our great high priest, not after the order of Aaron, but after the order of Melchizedek. The 12 tribes constitutes a a picture of the Old Testament church and the 12 apostles, the New Testament church. And thus, the New Jerusalem in Revelation 21 is a combination of both the 12 tribes, Old Testament authority, and the 12 apostles, New Testament authority. And the New Jerusalem is not a place, it's a people. And I saw the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, having the glory of God as a bride prepared for her bridegroom. His name is Jesus. And if we don't stop missing the point about what Revelation 19.10 says, 
worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, then we deny Christ his glory and we deny the essential promises of the church by our head, Jesus Christ, which are very clearly laid out in the book of Revelation. There you go. Let me go to line number. uh, Let's see here. I think it's Jermaine first and then we will go to Dan and then we'll go to Grace. Jermaine on line three. Jermaine, are you there? Oh, yes, I am. Can I help you, my brother? Well, you know, I just, um, I just talked about uh, gifts and whatnot. I was just wondering, like, for those who want to serve the Lord and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, they have a passion and a zeal to do so, but they're not quite sure where they should serve, how would you affirm where exactly you're called to, to serve? Because I know a lot of people would say just, um, you know, go through the traditional route. Some, some denominations, I know they sent you right to seminary and then, um, you know, you go through the various Bible colleges, but I've seen a number of people come out of there realizing they weren't actually called to preach. Right. And then they just kind of became more, more educated heretics. So how would you go about affirming where exactly you're called to serve? Absolutely. Unfortunately, we have this dichotomy called the clergy and laity, which is unbiblical. That is completely sacramental and rooted in a, you know, a, an ecclesiology that is not biblical it started with the Catholic church. Um, but it also had its fundamental roots in, in Greek orthodoxy too. The, the, the very thing that Jesus said, don't do in Matthew 23, don't call any man father, don't call any man your master. Understand that there is an equality of brotherhood amongst the people of God. Even when we have gifts, um, we, 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 we have to be careful that we don't create categories of classes, hierarchical classes that would uh, assert that certain people are more uh, important and more uh, gifted than others in, in, in terms of calling. Uh, I would say this, my experience has taught me, Jermaine, over many, many years now that when you are brought into the body of Christ by virtue of the gospel, and that's the language of 1 Corinthians 12, baptized into his body, and this is where people really make a ton of mistakes, is that not having a healthy ecclesiology will really slow down the process of affirming your gifts. Like there are a lot of people listening to the program who are not actually rooted and grounded in local churches. One out of four professing Christians you meet today will say they're looking for a church. And while that is notable in terms of if you are hungry for sound doctrine, if you are hungry for a community that's really serious about the word, yes, you're going to have some challenges finding those communities because we are in a state of apostasy. No doubt about that. Churches have departed from the word of God. They're into man centered theology. They are into emotionalism. They are into entertainment. There's no doubt about it. All kind of confusion is going on in the churches. Having said that, <clears throat> there are still good churches to be found if people are careful. When once you find <clears throat> a good church that is solid in its doctrine, operating out of the historic faith that is clearly rooted in sola scriptura, and by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, apart from works, a gospel-centered, Christ-exalting, Bible-based ministry where they are unashamedly committed to knowing Jesus through the word of God, Then what you want to do is pray as to whether or not you're called to be part of that body. And if God gives you affirmation of that in certain ways, then you join in with that body and you start working with that body. 
This is where people are going to begin to cultivate and learn their gifts. By the way, because you go to Grace, you're getting ready to be catapulted, Jermaine, right into the heart of all of this practical talk that we're talking about now. And you will be challenged as well in terms of coming out of your comfort zone, because a lot of times what we do is we will even get into a good church, but we won't move into it. We will kind of stay in the periphery. And that is dangerous because if we want to be used, we want that local church to be a place where opportunities will allow us to discover our gifts and then to practice our gifts and hone our gifts. And when once your uh, leaders have been able to prove that you either have the gift of exhortation, you have the uh, gift of helps, you have the gift of services or whatever the gifts may be, then they may recommend higher education if that's where you ought to go. And, And we've done that with several of our men. Uh, At Grace, no man should go to seminary without being recommended by his pastor or their leaders. No man should just jump in the seminary because, as you said, you wasted a lot of money and a lot of time when you do that. Um, And so I would say for those of you guys who are calling and asking about how do I affirm my gifts, you know, sit down with leadership. Uh, ask, ask leadership to you know take you through a number of questions about what your passions are, your desires are, and to help you with what might be inhibitions and, and limitations and, and, and fears and phobias so you can move forward in your obedience to Christ so that you can begin to cultivate uh, a service for him at the ground level. And if God is calling you to a more arduous and specific area, such as the pastorate, um, or scholar scholarship work, working as a, a scholar, a professor, uh, then that can be affirmed by your local congregation uh, if that's the route to go. That is really the best way to go. And, and this is very good advice from me to you. If you are in a good church, talk to your leadership, sit with them, let them pray for you. Because what Paul said to Timothy is, you have received a gift by the laying on of hands of the presbytery. Do not neglect that gift. And so that's the word I want to encourage you with, Jermaine. I'm going to take another break, and when I come back, I'll deal with Gloria first and then Dan. I do have two lines open, one 888 But before I go, here's what I want to say again. Way too many of you are either outside of the church by virtue of your hyper-autonomous sort of self-centeredness and have not submitted to the framework in which God has called you, um, or you guys are in the church or are operating on the periphery. Now, this is a clear doctrinal example of what, what they call the peripheral people in the Old Testament. The peripheral people are people who are not really operating at the highest level of obedience in Christ. These are people who are on the periphery, and it's a dangerous place to be because you cannot really know your church well and know what it needs, and you cannot discover your gifts and, and employ them effectively if you're just barely barely in the church because if you're just barely barely in the church you're mostly in the world i'll be right back and now back to lifeline anyhow all right let's let's get back to our our program let me see here who i have on line number Line number one, let's go to Dan in Sonoma. Glory, you hold on. Dan, on line number one, how can we help you today, man? Okay, just a little housekeeping. Um, the kind of 
feed that I'm getting on hold is just hearing the callers, but not the host. Oh. Um, yeah, so that might be a little difficult for people. But anyway. No, I, I, no, I appreciate that. We need to know. If somebody doesn't email us and, and say, hey, PJ, we got some weird stuff going on, then uh, then that doesn't make for a good program. Okay. Uh, I was looking at Luke 11, and I guess the, the theme of your show is gifts and also would tie into prayer. Sure. And I see a couple passages in Luke 11 that really relate, which is the first one is the importunate friend. Yep. And then you get down to the passage about light. And uh, I'm really struck with a couple of things that Jesus says in there about light, because he says, first of all, no one would light a lamp and put it under a bucket or under the bed or something, but put it on a stand so people can see it. But then in my German translations, it says, your eye is the mediator of the light so that you are a, your lamp is lit by the light. If, you're, if your light is good, then you're filled with light. But if your light is dark, then you're filled with darkness. And I said, well, that would really relate back to these prayers because you have a theme of gifts. And uh, I was praying for settled discipline, and then I started to realize that I need to also have sincerity and uh, have uh, persistence. And sincerity means you ask frequently, but also uh, um, humility to pray, humility to pray. And uh, I was going to ask you to sort of lay out about praying about uh, some of the things that topics that have come up in this uh, discussion about the Church. Uh, in in terms of uh, what church, the church that's being spoken about by our previous caller, Ellen, or the church in general? or um... No, I mean, to practice the gifts, uh, for example, I was listening to a pastor this morning that was quoting Charles Hodgson Spurgeon, and he said, if you don't have a woe-is-me experience preaching, then if you can do anything else, do it. You know, uh, do something else, because... A pastor should be really concerned for the welfare of spreading the gospel and making it clear. And if if you you've got other agendas, then you really should not be a preacher or a pastor. I agree with him there. Uh, maybe it n- may need to be expanded, but I agree with him there. And let's make a connection between um, uh, our, our mission, our gifts, and the uh, requisites, our prerequisites to to our mission and our gifts, which is prayer. And if you're, you know, as you sometimes do track with me in, in my preaching. This is what we are now as we're dealing with the person and work of the Holy Spirit. We are presently learning the radical importance of the Spirit of God helping us to pray to get it done and to pray to get it right. That's what intercession is all about, getting it right. And that's what help is all about, getting it done. And uh, we can do nothing without Christ. Christ laid down the premise that without me, you can do nothing. So obviously, If we are going to uh, affirm our salvation and then uh, understand that we've been called on a missional task uh, for a purpose and that that purpose is going to require supernatural gifting, we will discover at length, Dan, that we need to pray about that and pray for that. When once we are in that mode of praying for things that are at least uh, essential uh, elements of affirming our mission and affirming and honing our gifts, then we can get specific. 
So like when we're in Romans 12 and I made the uh, development uh, briefly of uh, Paul uh, uh, underscoring that we have received the gift of the measure of faith and that gift of the measure of faith is expressed by uh, other particular more tangible and instrumental gifts such as teaching and exhortation and giving and service, etc. All of those are practical gifts that have to be done in the body of Christ because there is a very normative social element that has to be cultivated. And that is we have to be taught. We have to be uh, exhorted. We have to be encouraged. We have to be admonished. We have to be trained uh, to be worshipers of God and servers of God. So uh, a great deal of the gifting of the body of Christ given to us directly by the spirit, but uh, executively through Jesus Christ operationally through the father um, are designed to help facilitate this thing called the supernatural body of Christ called the church. Um, And yet each one of us had to look at our gifts in relationship to our character, because that's what you are intimating out of Luke chapter 11. No doubt about it. A brother comes and knocks on his brother's door and says, I have a need. This goes to where we are dealing with in our daughters of grace that will come up next week on the Monday show. Um, How does the love of God dwell in you? If you have a brother who has need and you don't give him what he needs, but you turn around and say, be warmed and feel the Lord bless you. Uh, Here he is a image bearer of the, uh, of the true and the living God whom you don't see. How can you say you love God who you don't see if you don't love your brother whom you see? So we are compelled by not only our being saved and being missionary, by virtue of being saved uh, to serve, but there are needs that have to be met in that context. If I have the attitude of a selfish, lazy, indigent that really would rather not be bothered, that's the parable in Luke chapter 11, as you said, the importunity of of, uh, one who is knocking on the door because he has guests to take care of, and you have what is necessary to help me facilitate that uh, expression of faith, and you don't help me, then uh, the problem is at the level of ethics. It's not at the level of gifts, because we know you have them. It's at the level of ethics, and if you and I are gifted but are not ethically uh, appropriately uh, driven, then we are going to take our gift, as you use the analogy, as a light and put it under a bushel and not put it out on the table so people can be, be blessed to be brought in even closer to the kingdom. And that second analogy is even much more nemesine and personally admonishing for what Jesus says there is we can have a false light that does not correspond to the truth of who Jesus is and to the truth of Jesus's mission in the life of the people of God so that we can have an, we can have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. We can have a head knowledge of biblical truth, but our hearts can be dark and wicked, unkind, and again, narcissistic in nature. And so we can quote scripture, but we won't have any kind of success because that quoting of scripture will not be accompanied by the approval presence and power of the spirit of God. I'll see it like this relative to the two principles you're bringing out. Um, Long ago when God saved me and, and called me into the ministry and he saved me long before he called me into the ministry, but he began to use me early on to earlier on in my calling to Jermaine's point uh, and a just a practical way of teaching me the word of God in my first three or four or five years in Christ 
because I had an avarice desire to know God's word. I was avarice about it. I studied every day, all night long, etc., until the word of God was with all fitted in my lips. And then I found myself capable of sharing the word of God with people. And like uh, the other Daniel had said, um, God would use what I would say to people and draw them in. And the next thing I know, I'm, I'm teaching home Bible studies and exhorting people on the street. And I was loving it because I'm being used by God. Uh, but it would take another 10 years to really get at my character to help me understand I needed a character that would be consistent with my calling if I was going to help a lot of people. And so this is where your 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 topic is so very, so very relevant. Uh, a lot of people don't want to engage in the humbling hard work of um, of of wanting to ask for <clears throat> humility. Ask for uh, a giving heart, ask for qualities of the spirit that's essential to their service being effective and productive. But what we do discover is that everything that God is doing for us and everything that God is doing in us and everything that God is going to do through us will of necessity uh, of necessity and invariably require our humility. There is just no way that we're going to be effective for God unless we are willing to be crushed and to finally assert that the uh, something on that last uh, point with regards to the guy you were listening to that said the uh, Spurgeon quote, uh, if God doesn't give us a burden for hell bound sinners and yet we want to be in the pastorate, here's a nice uh, line that I'm going to put out here. Um, does the gospel have you? Or do you have the gospel? There are many men and women, unfortunately, going into the ministry so that they can get the gospel, so they can get the the the, the gifts of, of the gospel and use them for their own ends. Rather than the gospel having them so that the gospel can use you for God's own ends. And this is the big difference between a true servant and a false servant, a false servant wants the gifts to handle the gifts, to employ the gifts for himself. A true servant is compelled by the gifts and the gifts handle them and drive them to do what they do. As the apostle said it in first Corinthians chapter nine, he made it clear a, a dispensation of the gospel is what compels me to do what I do. I'm constrained by the love of God in Christ. And when the gospel has you to that extent, it is a natural byproduct of the gospel to see men and women perishing under the wrath of God. And we are more than willing where the opportunity opens up at appropriately to tell men and women the truth. You are a hellbound sinner. You are desperately lost. You cannot save yourself. You need the mercy and grace of God in Jesus Christ just like I do. Repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. May God grant you mercy to believe on his son Jesus Christ for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And that is by the name of Jesus Christ. That is the introductory message given to an unsaved person who needs to hear it every day from somebody who is compelled to see them on the brink of eternal destruction. But you don't hear that in church as well, because we really don't have that kind of compelling spirit aided preaching. And it's because we're not praying. Uh, I, I place all of the problems of the church in the West on uh, 
being too fat, too too wealthy, too resourceful, too too wise, too too uh, methodologically uh, driven by human man-made techniques, given over to <clears throat> the Laodicean spirit. We you know we are self-sufficient, and as such, we have no real compelling to pray. But as I was saying to a couple of other people today, before I let you go, Dan, uh, God's bringing America down. It's coming down little by little. Things are dismantling at the hinges and the fringes. And what we're about to see is a heat that will take place on a social level that will separate the uh, sheep from the goats, the wheat from the tares. And even among the wheat, it will purge the chaff of uh, carnality that is inhibiting many of us from being able to serve God the way he is to be served in the manner in which he came to serve us. Uh, And until that happens, uh, we're going to deal with a lot of people who have gifts that are either being inappropriately used or are placed under a bushel. And your prayers are appropriate. And you guys, Brother Daniel from Sonoma is, is, is a dear brother in my heart. Take him and pray for him, even as he has requested, so that he can finish well right along with the rest of us. Gloria, you hold on. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll we'll chat with you in terms of where God has brought you along in the area of gifts as well. This is a Monday edition of Lifeline. We'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. All right. Let's go to line number two and talk with Gloria. Gloria, are you there? Yes. Hi. How are you, Pastor? Great. Thank you for your patience. You had to hang out quite a while. So what's, let's close out the program together. What's going on with you? Well, I just wanted to let you know about what God has put on my life. Um, in the last 14 years, I have been preaching the gospel in the streets of Sonoma County, mm-hmm. and he he literally broke my heart uh, for the homeless uh, in 2006, and I just haven't been the same since. And mm-hmm. I get real emotional because I just so remember the day that I was watching the drug addicts and the prostitutes in downtown uh, Tenderloin and was with a group of people, and we were praying for them and giving them, of course, the basic water and yep. socks and all that. But um, I have learned to literally take the Word of God Literally, like, it's like God speaking to me page by page, chapter by chapter. I was raised in a Catholic church, so I did not know the Word of God. Um, mm-hmm. But yet, you know, doing all the traditional things that the Catholic church was doing. And sure. it wasn't until, until tw- when I w- turned 27, um, I was a cocaine dealer and a drug addict and dealing and doing the drugs. And I literally was going to die. And I went to the bathroom and I just cried my eyes out. And for the first time in my life, I called out to God and said, God, save me because I do not want to die. Right. And when I got up from my knees, I washed my face and I never did another line again. Mm-hmm. So he changed my life at 27, and then um, I met a wonderful, wonderful Christian woman who I totally saw the light of God in her, and I said, what is it about her that I don't have? And she literally walked with Jesus and Mm -hmm. read the Bible and Mm -hmm. prayed out loud and did everything that I'd never seen anybody do. Mm -hmm. And so following in her steps and starting to go to a Bible-believing church and getting the Word of God in my heart and taking every word 
you know, to heart, like God really was touching me. And um, 139, Psalm 139, uh, a, a friend of mine gave me that. And when I first read that, I said, God really does know me. Yep. And ever since then, I have been on the streets preaching, helping, loving, giving to the homeless. And everybody says, well, what church do you go to? And I just, I tell them the church, but I said, it's not the church that's doing it. It is God in me through Jesus Christ that has given me this amazing street ministry to preach the gospel and love on the homeless and tell them the truth in love. And, uh, you know, and, and God has supplied this ministry. I am not a nonprofit. I am just being obedient and being humble. That's great. I love the testimony. And, and and uh, so I guess I gather that, Gloria, you, you've you listened to the program before? Yes, I have. Right. Uh, and this you're, you're a perfect example of what I say to people frequently about the privilege of, of doing Lifeline, and that is the eclectic nature of people from different walks of life, different experiences abroad that, that you know, now we're at a hub. I'm, I'm doing a series right now about what it means to walk with the Holy Spirit. And, um, and and frequently, uh, God does amazing works, divine encounters at wells in the Old Testament. And so here we are at a well where we are talking about how God works and what God has been doing. And I actually appreciate your story uh, because we share it. Quite frankly, uh, I grew up in a culture of drugs as well. And it was a major radical deliverance from heroin and cocaine that God brought me out as well mm-hmm. and, and saved me and then brought me into, into the ministry. But in addition to that, what I really do appreciate about what you're saying, which is something that I really want all of our audience to work through. Uh, Cause you made mention of it a couple of times, the, uh, the, the literal obedience to God's word. It's almost a, a, a t- tautological statement, but it it has meaning. In other words, you have been transformed out of the empty ritualism of a kind of Christless ceremonial form of religion that had no life in it at all. Um, And and that that can apply to more than just the Catholic Church. Be, Be sure to know that many Evangelical churches are no different in their non-substantial, empty, lifeless, powerless uh, expression of, uh, of faith because they don't have the power of the word of God and the power of the spirit of God. And therefore, Christ in you, the hope of glory, compelling you to do what he did, leave the comfort zone of glory to enter into a broken world and meet sinners right where they are to work with them right where they are in order that they might know that salvation doesn't require them to move anywhere, but it starts with a journey in the soul and the heart by believing the precious message of the gospel of God's free grace. Salvation's free. The gift is free, but we do have to give it to them. And for you to be out there doing that, how many years has it been for you? Uh, it will be, uh, we're just completing 14 years. Right. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Bless you, sister, uh, with every aspect yeah. of what you're doing on so many levels. Bless you because 
Um, that's exactly what Christ said. He said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. And there will be no amount of biblical hermeneutics that we can employ to justify not going. There will be no grounds of argument with him whose eyes are like a flame of fire when he returns again and asks us, did we go to the prisons? Did we go to the sick house? Did we go to the convalescent? Did we go to the street? Because that's where lost men and women are. And that's where we must go to piggyback on Daniel's statement. If we are not caring about the lost, we may very well need to ask ourselves how we even met the Savior who came from eternity into time, assumed our nature and lived uh, uh, in the humility of, 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 of being born uh, in Nazareth and growing up in, in, in Galilee and doing ministry among the very infamous people that he did and then died and was buried and rose again as a propitiation for our sins. If we are not bearing that kind of uh, stigma in the in in the biblical sense of stigma, uh, then we have to ask the question whether or not we really know him. I appreciate what you have done by calling because you really are narrowing us all down, Gloria, to having to ask the question. Is our Christianity a sham? Is it a Hollywood? Uh, 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 is it a fictitious? Is it a synthetic expression of Western uh, easy believism that has absolutely no conviction, no burden, no passion, no drive, and therefore no evidence of the real marks of grace, which historically has been seen by the church because the church has been driven by a compelling love for the most glorious person in the universe to go places that we naturally would not go. And I'm thankful that you did it. I got one more question because we got to close. Are you guys all right with the air and stuff up there after the fire in Kincaid? We are, um, I'm in Runner Park, and, and I, my ministry's up in Santa Rosa, so we are actually, um, I think it's almost at 90% contained, and okay. people are back in their homes, the power's back on, um, but the work is, uh, the harvest is very real right now. I know. It's very real, very, I mean, we definitely need a lot of people out there because yep. people are hurting. Yep. People are hurting. So I see it, and my heart is broken for the for Sonoma County and even L.A. County, but I think, you know, God is so good in his mercy that he has opened up doors for every single believer to have a calling. You got it. We all have a calling. Yep. You just be broken for that calling. Bless you. Be broken for that bless you. God bless you. Yep. You. That's it. We all have a calling. A lot of work. Lord willing, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved.